You're listening to Widowed AF with Rosie Gilmoss and Lucinda Boast. We've invited some members of the world's most exclusive club to bravely share their stories. Join us for some honest conversations about living a different life, the crushing lows, the surprising highs and everything in between. Please note this is a podcast about death. Carefully read the episode descriptions and be kind to yourself. But for now, welcome to our podcast. Let's begin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Widowed AF. You've got Rosie here, and you have a special co-host today. You've got Jonathan back. Hello, John. Welcome back. Hi. How are you doing? So I think initially I want to just address the fact that Lou has not been on the pod as much lately, and I wanted to sort of address any concerns that people may have. She is absolutely fine. She's she's had a few health problems. She's had a gallbladder infection, so it's it's left her quite poorly, and she has been in hospital. She's making a good recovery, and she will be back with us soon. And because I knew that you would be missing her very, very badly... I have requested that she send us a voice note from her hospital bed and ever the trooper, here she is. Hello, hello, it's Lulu here. I um, hope everyone's well. Greetings from the sick bay, which is my local hospital where I've been for almost a week with a gallbladder infection, which has been most delightful. So if you do hear any beeping or noise in the background, it's probably some activity on the wards. Thanks so much for listening to Widow Day F, by the way, guys. I really appreciate it and really appreciate your support. I'll be back with you as soon as I can. So I know that you will all join me in, in wishing her lots and lots of love and a swift recovery. And I know that she sends lots of her love to all of you as well. Right. Okay. Admin done. <laughs> so many of you or some of you or one of you may have seen that's been a little bit in the press and on the social medias, on the social medias, how old am I, about the science proving that grief can damage your body as well as your mind. So I want to have a little chat about this. I have I've actually done a little bit of research. But first of all, let's let's have a little look back on, on Sarah's episode because I'd like to sort of reflect on that a little bit first. John, any, any takes from that? It was quite hard to listen to her story, if I'm being honest, because I, I, I totally understand like what she what she went through. Her her timeline was a bit more accelerated and maybe a little a little bit more brutal than mine was. But what she she said something that really resounded with me. And I think we posted it as a clip. It was this fact of once someone is diagnosed as terminal and the, the other person isn't, like your life's are then taking different paths. So how can you help the person who's going to die? because you don't know what it's like to feel that way. And they can't understand what it's like for you to know that they're going to die, but then have to go and live and look after kids and rebuild your life and everything else. And the way she put it was so beautifully put that it, it, it struck me like right in the heart. I was like, that's what I needed to say years ago. Yeah, we've... Yeah, we, we've had a few people say that, haven't we? Because, again, it's one of these aspects of grief that we don't talk about very much. And it is the kind of... I don't know, the unspoken things that we all think or many of us think. I know that, you know, obviously my circumstances were different, but I do remember being quite, I suppose, angry that he had the, <laughs> the luxury, I suppose. I mean, you know, you, you, not that I think it's a luxury, but, you know, you go to some very odd places and, you know, how dare he have the luxury of dying, <laughs> you know, leaving me to deal with all the shit that was left behind. I suppose the idea that you've set off on this path together and you've, you've created a life together, many of us have had children together, and then their life takes a very dramatic turn one way. 
but yours doesn't stay on the same path. Of course it doesn't. Like no. you veer off on a completely new path of your own. And, you know, th there's some scary shit on that path. You know, there's some snakes and, and spiders and creepy bats and stuff that you've got to kill. And in the end, you know, the idea is you, you find your own path and it, it becomes less scary. And you, you, your friends and the people that love you help you. And that, that was very clear in Sarah, wasn't it? That she um, she she's really kind of created a network of support for herself and for other people. There were a couple of real poignant moments in in the conversation with her she was very very articulate and I think she spoke almost as fast as me so <laughs> we got a lot of information in. but things like having to ration his good times that really stuck with me the idea that she was having to say to anybody outside of the children really and his friends you can't come because he only had such a small amount of this good time yeah. and I yeah that really resonated I thought how to actually have to tell people they can't see somebody that's that's dying because it means that they won't be able to spend time with their children to have to make that decision to be the gatekeeper you know who who in their in a million years thinks they're going to have to be the gatekeeper of who their spouse gets to spend time with yeah well actually ironically when when Sarah was ill and she was in hospital for for quite a period of time she she quite clearly didn't want everybody to know because she didn't want so many people coming to see her but because the new life that she can't keep so in a certain way, I had to do the same. It wasn't rationing her good times. It was just rationing her energy. Yeah. For, for Bloom. I, I, you know, I'd completely forgotten about doing all that. Well, you um, did. The other thing is every time we speak to somebody, I'm like, oh, my God, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and then you go from almost having to be their carer and, you know, gatekeeping who can have access to them. And then when they die, you then become infantilized. She talks about having to put her dad down as her next of kid. You know, we're grown adults. This, it, yeah, it, you become an almost sort of non-person, I suppose. Um, I mean, the other things she talked about as well, you know, the lack of control, but finding some joy in the last, you know, the last weeks, managing to grab onto the little bits of joy that were there. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy, I always say I enjoy these conversations. And joy is probably not, not the right word. I often feel quite kind of cold and <laughs> shaky afterwards because they are... Doesn't they? They they're very powerful, aren't they? Yeah, and it's and it's more that it, it resonates with, with others, others widows. You know, we can relate to some of the things they went through. Obviously, some's different, but there's quite a lot of things that are exactly the same, like the bargaining, and, oh, yeah. you know, and, and everything else. The other one was. I, I don't know how many of you saw the video that we uploaded, and it had to take that song in it. Now, it was one of the songs she gave me as an option to use, and as it happens, it was the song that her daughter was adamant that her dad was going to dance with her at her wedding. And it's one of the things she was absolutely furious about. So her daughter has actually been able to listen to it back, which I thought was a real sign of some progress. And very reminiscent, because I used Rocket Man on the little video I did for Ben's anniversary. Now, you know, so even in the, uh, I'm going to sound absolutely like I'm 90 now, but even like that more modern song that sampled a bit of Rocket Man, that comes on the radio, the radio goes off. So I spent so long kind of, using this song to make the video that I've desensitised myself, I guess. So, yeah, but I, off on a tangent there, I don't know even whether we'll leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sleep ironically as well as that the Rule the World song was Minor Sarah's first dance song too. Well, I know, actually, and I did have to say to you, didn't I, are you going to be okay if I use that song? And for anybody that doesn't know Joe, John personally, he's quite a rocker, and I think everybody was rather surprised that was your first dance song. <laughs> the things we do for love, hey? Yeah. <laughs> I will move on to another bit now, but I, I have a kind of copious notes from Sarah's episode because I was so moved by such a lot of it. And 
Another sentence that she said, which I really, really resonated with or resonated with me, was I miss me and I don't think I'm coming back. Yeah. How powerful is that? Because I look back on myself five years ago. I look back on myself a year ago, you know, and I don't recognize myself. I really don't. So anyway, I think actually that sort of, you know, this idea that we change so much is is quite timely to lead us into talking about this this research that's been done. So for anybody that hasn't seen it, okay, it was on the it's in the mail. I know. And it says that the headline is the science that proves grief can damage your body as well as your mind. It's the kind of things that you would immediately recognize, which is the lack of self-care. It's very common and I'm not saying that we're all stinking little honkers. Well, there's been times but we you know brushing your teeth or making sure that you drink six glasses of water a day or eat your five pieces of vegetables or you know even remembering to take multivitamins those things feel just just too much don't they and I know personally I mean the early days I did on red wine and Pringles I mean I, I, I lost weight I was very pale I looked I had cold sores, enormous cold sores. I remember that. I was mortified. Like, you know, talk about kick you while you're down, hey? And then I do talk about my drinking quite openly, and I have mentioned it on this podcast, and I don't want anybody to ever feel that I'm in any way saying that you mustn't drink because moderate drinking, you know, knock yourself out. And let's be honest, even a bit of heavy drinking is, you know, it's, it's, in most cases, it's fine. However, when you're bereaved, and particularly if you end up on your own a lot and in, and quite isolated, and I'm thinking here a lot of people who are in lockdown, you know, we, we we tend many of us tend to lean on the bottle. You didn't, did you? You went the other way and you didn't drink. No, I didn't drink. But yeah, but alcohol is a weird reaction with me, and if I, I I found quite quickly if I don't sleep well, then dealing with the grief afterwards is just it, it's horrendous. So actually doing it with a hangover as well was doubly bad. So, but I had the other vice of smoking. No, yeah, I went course. from a moderate smoker to, at one point, 60, 60 a day. 60, Jesus. That must have cost um, you a fortune as well. I didn't think about it. It was just, you, you know, you sit in the backyard and you've got a bit of space and you, it, it's this, it's the escape. It's getting away from things. Getting yeah, I get that. Life. And even it gives you an excuse to go outside and, and have a fag, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's that. And, I mean, for me, it was the endless time. So even just like dealing with the kids and stuff was, I found it quite overwhelming. And I was very lucky. My parents lived with me it's a three months in my home and then they rented somewhere locally for a further period of time. So I did have some support, but you know, you don't want to be calling your mum and dad to come and sit with you every evening. Are you, I don't know. And it gave, I found alcohol gave me a very instant connection to people, probably too much of an instant connection in that, you know, I was, I don't know, you, you perhaps say some things on the internet that you wish you hadn't and you know all that sort of stuff but you know the knock-on effect of that meant that I wasn't I didn't eat very well I didn't exercise very much and also listen, let's not forget could you read books or watch tv straight after no of course you, were, not. you were sat in endless nights mm. with nothing nothing to do because you physically couldn't do it mm. I genuinely think I have a slight problem I think it's RSI actually in my bright sum and I, I honestly think it stems because it started off around that time and I genuinely think I used to use my phone almost like a an escape I would just yeah. I mean you know what it's like you are inundated with messages aren't you which is wonderful and whilst nobody does expect you to reply and I, I I never really felt under pressure to reply I have to say I can't sort of blame that <laughs> blame it it gave me somewhere to be. I, you know, you, you, we all know how a phone sucks you in, and I could lose hours of my evening in there, especially if I'd had a bottle of wine. You know, get the kids to bed, get on the phone, drink the wine. 
And then I would either fall asleep on the sofa or I'd drag my, you know, knackered old carcass up to bed at some point. I wouldn't have you know, taken my makeup off if I'd bothered to wear any. And, you know, you get behind with your laundry and before you know it, your life has spiralled. And so any, so this is the sort of more, I guess, the more known impact because it's not a surprise to people if you, if that happens. The problem happens, I guess, if it if it's prolonged. And, you know, many, few, very few widows decide to go on massive health kicks in the first year or two of grief. But many of us do further down the line. You know, a year ago, I embarked on counselling. I gave up alcohol. I, you know, took doing things like yoga. And uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I've even even started to meditate. I, I'm not so accomplished at it. I can only manage eight, 10 minutes. But I think the determination to fix yourself kicks in. And you look around, and particularly for us, we are we are very aware of how lucky we are. And I I, I realise I'm saying the word lucky about two widows. We both had spouses that we loved and who loved us back. We lived very happy, loving lives. And then our worlds were blown apart. We were then lucky enough to meet each other. And we were friends, which obviously is the starting point, the bedrock. But, you know, what we have now, I'm very grateful for. And it has meant that we can take a little more time and, you know, make some, you know, do some work on ourselves. I'm doing the horrible inverted comma things with my hands there. And I suppose what I'm saying here is don't expect it to happen immediately. You know, if you are a bit of a hot mess <laughs> for a couple of years, it doesn't last forever. And I suppose it's the realisation that I came to probably year three, you know, just after COVID, which is you have to do the head work in order to carry this grief back with me. I know I go on to you about this quite a lot. Mm. The only way that you can carry this bag that you have to carry with you for the rest of your life is to put the rest of your baggage in some sort of order so that you can manage to move through. And, and part of that process alone leads you into meditation, leads you into exercise and eating better. I mean, anybody you speak to, you talk to recovering addicts, you talk to people who've gone through immense trauma, and there's kind of these pillars, aren't there, that, that bring you back to health and, and and being well. And it is, you know, you've got to do some exercise. It's like, it doesn't have to be vigorous exercise. I, I, I realise I loathe running. I loathe body pump. I loathe... What's the thing with a step? Step. <laughs> but I really like Pilates and yoga, and I really like sticking on my headphones and blasting out some music or, you know, listening back to the podcast if I'm editing it and, and walking the dog. So it's just finding... The idea that exercise has to make us thin or make us look better, I think that needs to get in the bin. Mm. Exercise needs to make us feel better in our heads and our bodies. So that's and, – and water and eating well and all the things that you sleep. I mean, you touched on sleep there. Sleep's a massive one. We talk a lot about sleep. I had a prescription of sleeping pills in the early days, and I think it was about two weeks. I took them, and then I thought very long and hard about whether to renew the prescription because I knew that – I knew, it was, I knew it was another crutch. I knew that I have a slightly addictive personality. And I was worried I'd never sleep again, if I'm honest. So well, neither of us are brilliant sleepers, are we? But no. you, you figure out how to make it work. So um, I'm just going to come back again to this article. So within this article, it talks about cortisol and adrenaline. So many of you will know that cortisol and adrenaline are the stress hormones. And they trigger a fight or flight response in the body. It makes a lot of sense that in those early days, weeks, and even months, that your cortisol will go through the roof. It means that you are in a constant state of fight or flight. So it means things like your body can't that can't regulate your blood sugar, your metabolic function, and even your memory. So we talk about things, you know, like widow brain, very similar to baby brain. But it, it is a thing. It is a physiological reaction to this enormous trauma. 
So what happens then is you, the adrenaline causes, can, I mean, it can cause things like heart damage. In the interest of science and research, I had my cortisol checked. So as most people know, I'm five years widowed. It was a very sudden death, so there was no build-up to it. So that five, it's a sort of fairly solid five-year window of, of trauma. Guess what? Well, you know. <laughs> but guess what, everybody else? My cortisol levels were unusually low. So... I, unfortunately, I don't have a very intense breakdown of this. I've asked for once and I may be able to give people a little bit more information. But from what I can determine, there is a, there is a, a condition called adrenal fatigue. It's not a medically recognised condition, but it's more in the sort of holistic community it's been talked about. And the theory behind it is basically that your adrenal gland, when you're under enormous stress from something like a, a bereavement of a child, a spouse, or possibly even a parent or a very severe illness, you, you produce so much cortisone for such a prolonged time that you can't produce anymore. You get adrenal fatigue and that can leave you with anxiety and it can leave you unable to just sort of cope with, I don't know, quite what other people wouldn't see as enormous challenges and, and it impacts your sleep. And so, I mean, there's no cure. It, it seems to be that you, you need to get some sunshine, exercise, eat regularly, protein, all, all the things that we know to do. But it, it's quite interesting, all this, isn't it? That we know that the mental health impact is enormous. We know this. We 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 know it. We see it. But yeah, the idea that you could then end up getting ill as a result of it. If you remember, Rose, you um you had what you thought was a suspected stroke. You were out shopping and you went like effectively blind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I was in LD of all places. So it's probably my body going into shock at that. <laughs> and the the, the light started. To flicker a little bit and you know like a, a migraine the migraine with the lights I can't remember what it's called and that it's that's so and I, I do get the odd migraine so I assumed it was that so I paid and left and I got back to the car and I couldn't I couldn't open my car my, my yeah, coordination had all gone and it was very much on one side one side of my face felt very numb and like it had dropped now where I was parked there was a, a drop-in sort of walking health center not far Obviously, I was on my own. You're always on your own when stuff goes wrong, right? And I managed to get in. And it was like I was really drunk. I was sort of ricocheting down this road, almost from car to bush. And again, you know, as we do, you start thinking, bloody hell, what are people going to think of me? And I walked into this clinic and staggered in. And I just burst into tears. And I just said to the woman at reception, please, please help me. Please help me because my children will be orphaned if I die. Because all I could think was I'm having a stroke. I'm having a uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what I thought was happening, but I know that I was more scared probably than I've ever been in my life. But I wasn't necessarily scared for me. I was scared for those three little kids. And I was scared for my mum and dad, you know, mm. because I thought, who's going to tell them? Anyway, I, I, clearly I'm alive and I'm fine. They ran an incredible amount of tests on me. They were wonderful. I think perhaps I you know, probably vomited my story onto them as well. And they actually conducted some tests which I wanted done anyway and I was waiting till I turned 40 till I could have a well woman check so I didn't fake it I promise but it did mean I got things like my liver scanned and unbelievably it was fine (laughs) and I was fine but reading through this information and all this kind of documentation that's out now I I wonder whether that was just a complete just a physiological reaction to just untenable amounts of stress and worry. It's a quite an interesting thing as well. Like when you go to the hospital, you're more concerned about the people you could potentially leave behind. And that probably comes from a place of having to having lived through that scenario. You can picture and empathise with that scenario more. Well, yes. And I also am wondering whether the fact that you were 
you know, fairly early on in your grief journey, ugh, I said journey, meant that you were more susceptible to COVID. Now, this is complete speculation. We have no medical background between us. So, but you, you know, I mean, you, you weren't at risk. You weren't a high risk in the high risk group. You have no underlying medical conditions, yet COVID very nearly killed you. And I do wonder that if all this, you know, this, this talk about cortisol and, it, and how it impacts your immune system and whether your body just couldn't cope with one more thing. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, like I said, this is speculation, but it, it's something I'm very interested in exploring. And I mean, Lou, Lou won't mind me saying this either, but I do wonder, you know, because she's in hospital, as, as I said earlier, and, you know, it started really from grief because, she, as she's talked about very openly, I'm not betraying a confidence, she refers to it as the fried chicken years. And she she got to a point with her weight where it was basically do or die. So she had this life-saving operation, which was a gastric bypass. And that's obviously led now to a gallbladder infection, which has led to her being in hospital. And then, of course, she has a child. This idea that, you know, if I was, you know, God forbid to be rushed into hospital, you were, yeah. the other one would be there to look after the children. And the same for most couples. And even if you're separated or divorced, there's usually somebody that can rock up and take over now Lou's very lucky she's got she's got a big family and they've, they've they've been absolutely amazing and a little shout out to the boast family because you've been absolute troopers this week but of course that that does mean that Scarlett's had to go to their houses they've all got their own children and and it's that kind of I don't know it, it just adds another dimension for you know poor Lou who wants to get home and get better of course she does but the the need to be with Scarlett to make sure that she's okay it's just another thing that's taken away from you when you're widowed isn't it yeah. it's just even having somebody to, you know, bring you some tea and toast in bed when you're feeling crappy or take the kids out for the day to the park. Maybe you're having a, you know, mental health day. It, it, you know, we can talk about this. It happens. Sometimes my mental health takes a plummet and, and you know, you you rally round, don't you? I gave, I actually wrote a list of things that would help me in that moment because in the moment I'm unable to say and I gave it to you and, and you refer to it, don't you? And it eats these really stupid things like make sure I have a drink of water. <laughs> because in that moment when you can't care for yourself, because it might be that you're poorly or it might be that you are men mentally poorly. You know, we go into these bits, we come back out again because it all passes. But just having, we all need to be taken care of, don't we? Yeah. We all need somebody to look after us. You lose your safety now, don't you? Yeah, when the person that's meant to take care of you is taken away from you, who does it? Who looks after you? Anyway... On a slightly lighter note, because I feel like I've just depressed everybody talking about grief and really dying. But I guess what I'm trying to say is if you are feeling, I don't know, just really crap and really unwell and, and you can't really figure it out and you're and you're early in your grief or even if you're late in your grief, it might first you have it looked at, obviously, because it could be something more serious. And, you know, as I said, I am very much not a doctor. But, you know, it could be something to do with your cortisol and it might be that you need to kind of put a little plan in place to help yourself manage this. Again, you know, I'm no expert I, and I don't claim to be, but all I can tell you is that what works for me is making sure that I, I sleep and I, it might only be six hours, but if I can get a good solid six hours and not beating myself up when I can't sleep. I used to refer to myself as the Victorian ghost and I sort of waft around, oh God, I can't sleep. Whereas now I make myself a little nest, I take a book, a cup of tea and just accept that that's what's happening. And Again, you know, it's really boring and I sound, you know, my kids roll their eyes when I do this, but, you know, drink some water, get some exercise, do a little bit of yoga if you can be asked, that sort of thing. Whatever works for you, but you need to carve out time for you because what you are going through, whether you are a week into widowhood or 10 years into widowhood, you are still dealing with a lot. So I say it all the time, but just be really kind to yourselves. 
Anyway, on a lighter note, we have, we're going on a little adventure this weekend, aren't we? We're going down to Oxford. It is our friend's 50th birthday and we're going to meet up with some of our widowed friends. So there'll be a little bit of a, a group meetup. And again, you know, talking about the importance of peer support, we live all over the country, we, from Scotland down to, I don't know, Kent? Are we the, no, Southampton. So we are very widespread. A lot of our communication is done on, a, on WhatsApp little pockets of us try and meet up where we can and then periodically we, we try and get together for a bit of a, a gathering and it, it unfortunately it does take something like a wedding or a 50th birthday to get everybody together and and even then I don't think we're all going to make it but I'm hoping that we'll try and get some pictures for you all and just see that you know there is there is real life after loss and it's not a shitty half life that you think you're going to live because you do you think that that's all you've got is this this pathetic compensation for the life that you were promised but it, does, it, it doesn't have to be, does it? You can lead a very good life and you, it doesn't mean that you are not honouring your person and it doesn't mean you're disrespecting them. It means that actually what you were doing is honouring you. <laughs> and my God, what a privilege to be alive. So I hope you enjoyed a slightly more, maybe a slightly more serious topic for the, the, the chat episode. But I, I think because it's, it's out there and people are starting to talk about it, I think it's a conversation we should be having within our community. And we normally talk about trumpets and God knows what in these chats. But I felt that it was it was topical, particularly with, a, you know, one of our tribe being being poorly and, and, and also with it being around in the news. I guess we would, you know, we're interested in hearing from anybody that knows a little bit more about this or anybody that has personal experience of it. This, this term adrenal fatigue is not a recognised medical condition. It's more of a, a sort of holistic thought and, and perhaps something that we can work on, I don't know, with, with vitamins and all that sort of stuff. But who knows? It might be a load of hocus pocus. Or I don't know. I'm just, it's, it's kind of dropped onto my radar and, and I'm interested in it. On Monday, we have a very lovely guest. We have Laura Clark on. She, I mean, it's another shocker. I'm not going to lie to you. She lost her husband very suddenly and, and she got breast cancer. I mean, you couldn't make that up, could you? I won't give any more away now. I'm going to encourage you to have a listen on Monday. And as always, if you would be kind enough to like and subscribe to us, it does push us up the charts a little bit, which makes us feel really special. So thank you, everybody. And thank you again to John for joining me today. So I wasn't on my own. Thank you. <laughs> and we shall see you all next week. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye. Thank you for listening today. We'll be back with you soon for more from the front line of loss. But for now, as you were.